Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. As we come to the end of our Armor of God series, we come to the only offensive weapon in the armor, the sword of the Spirit. The sword I have in my hands is real. It's a double-edged sword, which means I could chop your head off either way. Actually, I wouldn't chop your head off, but I would like to chop the devil's head off. You see, uh, if you're here for the very first time, you might be wondering why pastor standing up front holding a sword with a grin on his face. The reason is because I like offense. Whether I'm playing baseball, basketball, football, or attacking the devil, I like to play offense. I like to be at bat. I like to be shooting the ball, running the ball. I like to be speaking the truth in love. I like offense. Now, there's a time for defense, and we've been talking about that for five weeks. In fact, if you look at this stage, you see the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation. Those are the things we use when we're standing against the devil. So that he can't attack us. But this is our only weapon. The sword of the spirit. Which actually is this. The word of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Along with another weapon. uh, Which is actually listed after we finish the armor of God discussion. In Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18. We live in a culture that talks a lot about spirituality. Spirituality is the big thing. In fact, we might be uh, in a culture that talks more about spirituality than any time in history, yet Jesus isn't so big on the radar. It's talk about let's be spiritual, but let's not necessarily talk about Jesus. In fact, um, it's interesting to me because I hang out with guys uh, that go to AA and NA a lot, and, uh, and they tell me if they go to a meeting and they talk about Jesus, the people there get rather uncomfortable. In fact, they sometimes get reprimanded for talking about Jesus. I find that odd, given that Bill Wilson who, and Dr. Bob Smith, who started AA, both were Christians, and, and Bill Wilson got down on his knees and raised his hand and cried out for Jesus, not some higher power, some vague spiritual being, to deliver them. And the 12 steps came from a guy named Sam Shoemaker, who happens to be a pastor. Well, he was a pastor. He's dead now. But he was a pastor, a Christian pastor. And yet in our culture, it's okay to talk about spiritual things, but not so much to talk specifically about Jesus. But this isn't a vague spiritual battle that we've been talking about these six weeks. This is a battle of good versus evil. And the commander of the good side, his name is Jesus. And the commander of the bad side, the evil side, is named the devil. And what we're going to do today as we finish up this series is we're going to talk about the only offensive weapon that we have in the battle. And actually, as I said, this is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But we're also going to talk about uh, another one. I'll mention that after we read the scripture this morning. And and since uh, the Apostle Paul introduces this uh, battle by saying that we must stand firm against the the enemy, the devil. And and then he says at the end, after the battle, because we have on the armor, because we have this offensive weapon, we will stand firm. So what we're going to do this morning is something we do sometimes, but uh, not a lot these days, is we're going to actually, if you're able, please stand. And we're going to read God's word, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 together. Um, 
there will be some words in parentheses. That is the Greek name of the actual general, the demon, who's actually a general. There are four of them. It's, in English, it doesn't come across that way. But as I said in weeks one and actually throughout the series, there are some specific demons. And so we'll mention their names out loud, too. And if you can't pronounce it, just let me pronounce it. But it's not that hard. Okay. And besides, it's archaic Greek. Nobody knows how they really said it anyway. So just say it with confidence, right? Let's read God's word together. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, Archus, and authorities of the unseen world, Exousius, against mighty powers in this dark world, Cosmocraterus, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, Ponerios. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that while there's a battle going on all around us and we can't see our enemy, that you tell us he's real and that he has generals and other demons, but we are victorious when we wear the armor you give us. And so we ask God, put that armor on us today by the power of your spirit and give us courage to use the offensive weapons that you give us, the weapons of your word and prayer. We ask these things in the, the name of Jesus, our commander and king. Amen. Please be seated. So let's look at, uh, again at the last two verses which we read together. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert, well, I should say, uh, and take the sword of the Spirit. And then pray in the Spirit on all times and every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So you see the two weapons, right? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and prayer. And then specifically praying in the Spirit. So we're going to talk about that today. And uh, the take-home point for today, for those of you who are first-time guests, we seek to make one point each message. And the goal is 52 points made you know, throughout a year. If we live those points out, would make us more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. And so it is this. God, God's Word is our only offensive weapon as Jesus' followers. And we're going to amend that to include prayer, because Paul just told us that um, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And you wonder, why did Paul call this book the sword of the Spirit? Why is the Word of God the sword of the Spirit? Well, the answer is because it kills the devil. The devil's purpose, according to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, is to kill us, to, to steal from us, and to destroy us. But right here we find out that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, destroys the devil, kills the devil. That's the purpose of the sword of the Spirit. And actually, we're told in another book, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God 
is not only a sword for fighting the enemy on the outside, but it actually does something on the inside of us. So let's look and see what it says there. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So this entire series, what have we done? We've talked about our enemy who's out there. The, the enemy, the devil and his demons. But, but what we just found out by reading Hebrews 4.12 is there's also a potential for mutiny, if you will, inside our very own hearts. You know, We have the potential to not only be destroyed from the outside by the devil out there, but also we, de- we have a tendency to destroy ourselves. And in James 1, James tells us that sometimes the reason we sin is because of our own evil desires. It doesn't even... The devil doesn't need to help us sometimes. We just sort of do it on our own. So we need to understand that it's very, very important to have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and using it daily because the enemy out there and the enemy inside of us, us, wants to um, see us defeated. And this is our only offensive weapon. Notice he says it's the sword of the Spirit. This book, Without the Spirit... Um, I mean, it's true without the Spirit's power empowering us. But what happens oftentimes when we just have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God without the Holy Spirit, is that we can be sort of legalistic. And so we can use the Word to, to be against sin, but also against sinners. And the truth of the matter is the sword is amazing. It's sort of like a scalpel. It cuts away the cancer of sin without killing the patient. You know, I mean, we need to, we need to still be alive at the end of the surgery. So I've known virtually my whole life that I'm not a good person. Since I was, at least since I was five years old, I was absolutely certain that I wasn't a good person. I knew that beyond any shadow of a doubt. I knew that if it was up to me, I was in trouble. I knew that I needed a lot of help. And uh, this culture has really, you know, sort of lied to us about that. In fact, the devil, I think one of the basic things the devil wants us to believe is that we're basically good people. Not that we're bad on the inside, but that we're good on the inside. And back in 1969, I was uh, just moving into the teenage years in those days. Well, actually, I was 12. There was a book that came out by William Harris. Some of you have read it. Uh, Many of you will remember the name at least. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Well, if I'm okay and you're okay, then why did Jesus die on the cross? It's a pretty serious question. I mean, if we were all okay, then Jesus didn't need to come. He didn't need to live a perfect life, and he didn't need to die on the cross. And, and the thing is, that, that trend of, you know, we're all okay, we're basically just need a few tweaks here and there, that's right up to the present day. I heard a, a singer a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago now, named Hozier. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hozier. He has a nice voice, um, but the songs he sings, they're not really very nice, um, Especially this one is called Take Me to Church. I don't know if you've heard it. If you haven't, don't. Um, because Take Me to Church isn't what you might think about. Take Me to Church. It has nothing to do with church, really. Except for the line in the, in the song, it says this. They say, that is the church, the traditional church. And when I use the word traditional church today, I'm including us. The church that believes that this is the word of God and it's true. They say we're sick. That's Hozier's line. They say we're sick. Uh, let me know. Let me tell you, we're sick. Okay, I just said it. I, I'm they. They say we're sick. We're sick. But Hozier says, no, no, no. We're not sick. You know, in fact, what we really he does is he worships at a different church. And if you see the video, you have to see the video. Don't see the video. But if you watch the video, 
um, you'll see that he, he's talking about his lover who, if you just listen to the words, it sounds like it's a woman, but it's actually another man. And that man brings him to this point of, you know, ecstasy, if you will. And so, therefore, that's what we need to worship. What makes us feel good? Well, that's just the, that's the devil's lie from the very beginning. That whatever feels good is good. Let me just clue you in. Whatever feels good, like, in the short term, usually isn't good. And, and many of you in the room know that. Maybe all of us in the room, I hope, know that. That stuff that seems easy and simple and fun uh, at first usually leads to stuff that isn't so fun. And stuff that seems hard and not so much fun at the beginning usually leads to growth in our lives. And so sin is always fun until it isn't. Sin is always fun until it isn't. And so Hozier has you know, been duped by this. And I actually listened to his explanation on YouTube of why he wrote this song. And what he said was, you know, the church has had a bad couple of years, meaning the traditional church of America or all the world. Actually, he's mostly talking about the European church because I think he's Irish or something, Scottish, I don't know. But anyway, he said, actually, not just a bad couple of years, a bad couple hundred years. And he wants to correct that. Because basically what he says is the church, you know, has done heinous acts of violence and hated people in the name of God. And I want to sit here and tell you something. He's, he's, he's right. The church has committed heinous acts of violence and done tremendous evil over the centuries, down through the last 2,000 years. That has happened not because the church is wrong, but because the people in the church are wrong, the leaders in the church are wrong, because you know what? We're human beings. And we're sick. And even though we have the solution, even though we have the antidote to the sickness called sin, which is Jesus Christ, even once he's in us, there's still this struggle inside of us. And so Hosier is right to condemn heinous acts of violence in the name of God. I would hope that we would all do that. But where he's wrong is to assume that that's what Jesus wants to have done. And that that's what the church really stands for. Because the church doesn't stand for that. And, and, and the thing is, we need to understand something. This book by itself doesn't change people. This book lifted up as the truth by the church. It's not accepted in our culture at all. But what has always been accepted for the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, this is what's always been accepted. When people who believe that this book is true... In the power of the Holy Spirit, live it out in love over time. When people actually experience the love of the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit through people, then over time, people are convinced. And that's what we're talking about today. The Apostle Paul added that in addition to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, we must do this. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers. You know, the, the prayer in the Spirit isn't officially part of the armor of God. The armor of God are, are the things that we see here on the stage, including the one offensive weapon of the sword, which is the Word of God. But prayer in the Spirit, I would consider the second offensive weapon we have. Because when we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, things change. Lives are transformed. We are transformed. God uses that. It's an offensive weapon. And the devil's works are thwarted. And so... Um, this is the thing that I have to say uh, very, very clearly this morning is that the reason that church in America and church around the world in a lot of cases is so weak is because we don't really believe what I just said, that the word of God is true and that the power of the Holy Spirit is still active in prayer. A lot of people think, Christians think 
that the, that the Spirit stopped working when the last apostle, John, died. In other words, John was on his deathbed and, you know, and the Holy Spirit was active and working. In the, and it's called the age of the Spirit or the apostolic age. But when John died, the Spirit stopped working. And now all we have is the truth. And, and that's enough. That's what a lot of... I just heard it on the radio last week. I don't need the Spirit of God. All I need is the truth of the Bible. Well, I don't know about that guy, but I know me. I, I, without the Spirit of God, this book doesn't help me very much. And I'm going to prove it to you from the Apostle Paul's own words. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 7. So I find this law at work. And when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the law of Moses. What we would call the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament, he says, When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In other words, I know this book is true. I delight in it in my inner being. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to do something right, but you did something wrong instead? Anybody ever done that? Okay, and the rest of you are lying. Okay. Okay, have you ever not wanted to do something wrong, but you did it anyway? I mean, you just tried to, you just couldn't help it. Yeah, all of us have done that. And Paul is saying, you know, this is true. And what the truth does is condemns us because it shows us that we can't do what's right. And he asks the question, who is going to deliver us from this, you know, wretched condition that we're in? And, and a lot of the dead legalism that we see in the world around us is what Hoosier, Hoosier whatever his name is, is talking about, Right? When he's, he, he might not know that, but that's what it is. He's talking about the Word of God without the Spirit of God activating us to live it out. So Paul agonizes over this burden. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And he gives the only satisfying answer in the history of the world. He says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus satisfied the death penalty that was on all of us. We are sick, and, and the sickness is going to last not just through this life, but through eternity, unless something transforms us and changes us. So Jesus lived a perfect life. He came, the Son of God came, lived a perfect life. He raised people from the dead. He healed sick people. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He showed that he's who he said he is. And then he died in our place. And when he died in our place, if that was the end of the story, I wouldn't be sitting here today, and I don't think any of us would. Because that's a nice story. A guy was willing to die for somebody. But he rose from the dead to prove that he is who he says he is, and that what he says is true is true. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this, the sword of the Spirit, and we're going to go through what happened after Paul acknowledges that this... You know, I want to do the good things, but I don't. I don't want to do the bad things that I do. Who's going to deliver me from this? Thanks be to God, you know, through Jesus Christ. He goes into chapter 8. And chapter 8, outside of the Gospels, may be the most important chapter in the entire Bible. The verse, uh, and we're going to go verse by verse through a few verses here. And we're going to stop and interrupt a couple times. But this is the very first verse of Romans 8. It says, therefore... There is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore comes after Paul is saying, this is what's going on. I can't do what I want to do. I don't do what I, you know, I, I do the things I don't want to do. I, I just can't, I can't do this life that the Bible tells me I have to do. The sword of the Spirit tells me what I should do, but I can't do it. And then he says, but thanks be to God because Jesus did it. And therefore, that's what it's there for. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how much condemnation? None. There's no condemnation. There's none for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's the best news ever. 
That there, even though we sometimes still screw up, and a lot of times we still do, there's no condemnation for us because of what Jesus did. Because it says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The spirit of life, that's the Holy Spirit. When I call on the Holy Spirit, when I'm praying, I, I always go like this, always. Because I want, I, I, it's like a funnel, you know. I want the Holy Spirit to come in. I don't want any to leak out. And, and the thing is, the Holy Spirit doesn't leak. I do. If you read Acts, the, the book of Acts, what you find out is that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost to 120 believers, and then the Holy Spirit came to 3,000 people, and then a couple days later, I don't know how many days, but Peter and John were, you know, he, healed this guy, and they got arrested, and they had to stand up in front of the authorities, and before Peter started speaking, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after they were released, it said that they prayed together and the whole group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing thing over and over and over again. We can't just get filled up with the Holy Spirit once. And I've heard that we, we can by the same guy who says we don't need the Holy Spirit really in our day-to-day life on the radio. But anyway, we need the Holy Spirit all the time because we get weak, not the Holy Spirit. And so we call on him and that's what Paul is talking about here. And he's saying we've been set free. And Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The truth does set us free, but we need the empowering action of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order for us to truly experience that freedom. And then it says, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit so you see what he's saying he's saying we wanted to do the right thing I mean I know a lot of people in fact one of the people that got baptized last night said you know that he'd been trying to do his best to live the way God wanted him to and I said before I baptized him that will never work I don't care how good you try to be or how good I try to be it's never going to work Apart from the empowering action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's just not going to work. And that's what it says right here. We couldn't do it. So Jesus came in the form of a sinful man. He wasn't sinful, meaning he was a human. And he did the perfect thing that we couldn't do. He died on the cross, rose from the dead, as I've already said. And I'll say it probably a million more times before I die if God gives me that much time to say it. Because it's the only thing that saves us is his perfection. It's not our perfection. And then it says, again, the righteous requirements of the law the the penalty for sin is death and we're all sinners we're all sick and 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 so Jesus took the penalty for all of us and he gives us in exchange life and he sent his spirit after he went back to heaven so it says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what this nature sinful nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so what, what we're told here is the same thing that I, I've preached many, many times, and I'll keep preaching it because it's the best example I know of what's going on in me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following says that the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, and the flesh, this is Chris Marshall's sinful nature, are in a battle. And this battle goes on in the sinful nature once what the Holy Spirit doesn't, and the Holy Spirit once what the sinful nature doesn't. And so this battle's going on, and who wins? Whoever we let be in control. If we let the Holy Spirit in control, we win. I mean, he wins. And we do what the Holy Spirit wants. And you're saying, Chris, are you saying that the Holy Spirit can make us perfect? Yes. When we let him. Are you saying that you're perfect? No. Because unfortunately, even though I know what I need to do, sometimes I still get in this battle and I still let the Holy Spirit 
just step aside and I do the stupid stuff, the sinful stuff, the wicked stuff that we're reading about from front to back in this book. All right, then it says, the mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And then it says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So we have a choice, death or life and peace. We get to choose. Do we want death? Live according to the sinful nature. We get to have death or we get to have life and peace. And when he's talking about death, he's talking about physical death. Sure, we're all going to die. But he also is talking about spiritual death. So this is, as I said, a matter of life and death. And it's a matter of life and death for eternity. And so the thing is, the bad news of being a human being after Adam and Eve, because Adam and Eve were perfect and they were sinless when they were created, but they brought sin into the world. So the bad news is, because of Adam and Eve's sin, the sin has gone on and on. It's like a snowball that starts on top of a mountain and just keeps rolling down the hill. And it gets to our generation and it's, I mean, look around. And, and you, you have only a couple of choices, really. You, you can either look at um, Hosier and say, oh, he's right. You know, basically, let's just make up what feels good and say that's good. Or you can look at the truth and say, wow, that's the truth, but I can't do it. And so I need something outside of myself to come inside of me. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, this very, very long, very, very long passage we're going to read right now, it's so awesome. It says this, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and it's really the Spirit that's doing it, not us, right? It says you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as his children. And by him we cry, Abba, which literally means Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. We're going to die one day. That's going to happen. Everybody since Adam and Eve, except for Enoch and Elijah, have died because of sin. There's no doubt about it. We're going to die. But the good news is when we die, we're going to live. Forever with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in us, if he's controlling us, and if we put to death the misdeeds of the body by the power of the Spirit, we become more and more and more like him. And again, you say, well, Chris, can you really live perfectly? Well, yes, you and I can live perfectly when the Spirit's in charge. Nobody's ever done that 100% of the time, except for Jesus. But we can live more and more and more in the power of the Spirit and less and less letting that sinful stuff being in charge of our lives. And so the, the greatest news ever is God only has one natural child. That's Jesus. But all of us get to be adopted if we trust Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, we can, be, we can actually be Jesus' brother and sister if you think about it. We can actually be brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God. And we get to be heirs. What does that mean? An heir gets what the, the, the dad has, right? What does our dad have? Everything. We own it all. 
If you think about it, the whole world, it's ours because God owns it all. So we're heirs with him. So part of it's ours. And then it says, but if we do that, we have to realize we're going to also suffer because this is a serious, serious war. It's a spiritual war in which there are casualties. People die every single day in the battle. And angels and demons are fighting one another. And, and there are casualties. But ultimately, it doesn't matter how bad the, the injury, because we're going to live forever with Jesus one day. And right now we have the victory. We have the victory. It's assured. It's just a matter of time until it's obvious. Because the devil was defeated on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we're just having a few skirmishes to finish up until Jesus comes back. Now, what I've said today is a little more compli complicated than how I usually preach. If you don't, didn't get everything the first time, go on the website this week and watch the video and watch it a couple of times. Because what I said is the most important thing you can ever know. The most important thing I can ever know. That there's a battle going on. And we're sick. And it's a sickness unto death. And there's only one cure. And his name is Jesus. And once we have that cure and the power of his spirit in us, the sword of the spirit will kill the devil and his work in our lives. And he will make us victorious. And... And people will stop singing stupid songs about what isn't real. Because, you know, the world thinks that what the devil offers is good because too few people are showing them what's really good. And that's it. So I have a, a prayer that I'm going to have up on the screen. It says, Jesus, I haven't been on your side. This is for those of you who maybe have been believing the world and maybe you just didn't know there was a better option out there. Jesus, I've been on your side. I may not have acknowledged that you exist. Maybe you've just been an atheist to this point. Uh, but today I trust you as my Savior, Savior from sin and death, and my Lord, which means my owner, come in and take over. Fill me with your spirit that I may learn your truth, experience your love and power, and live it more and more each day. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask Steve to put the picture of the car back up on the screen. I want you to look at that. Not because I'm trying to scare anybody, but because I'm telling you the truth. I could be dead right now. Nancy certainly could be dead right now. She's the one that's in there on that side of the car. We were having dinner. We were sitting still, and a guy came across the road for no apparent reason and hit us going 50 miles an hour. Yesterday, I was out test driving a car, and I sat at a traffic light. It was red. Now, normally, that doesn't have any impact in my life, but I was scared just sitting there because I thought, you know, who knows what idiot could come across and hit me. And then I, and then I remembered something. Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 15. We have not been given a spirit of slavery to fear. Huh. We have been adopted as God's children. Now, that's only true for those of us who have. So am I trying to scare you to commit your life to Jesus today? No, I'm just telling you the facts. We're all going to die. And we're all sick, born that way. And there, the solution has always been the same, and it will always be the same. The world will continue to lie. The devil will continue to lie. That's what he does. If you want to know how you know the devil's lying, his mouth is moving, right? That's what he does. And we have an option. And many of us have already taken that option, but those of us who have not in this room, I'm going to encourage all of us right now to pray the prayer that's on the screen. Let's put that prayer back on the screen. If you've already prayed it, it won't hurt you to pray it again. I mean, you're already saved. That's okay. But if you haven't, 
And in fact, I'm going to ask you, um, if everybody would just bow your heads for a minute, close your eyes. I'm going to give people a chance to, last night I didn't do that. I just made everybody keep their heads up. But tonight, let's, to this morning, let's close your eyes, put your head down. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've been living in the world's ways and it hasn't been working out for you and you wanted a different way, the, the only way that works, would you raise your hand right now? If you've never done that before and you'd like to do that this morning, would you please raise your hand? Okay, thank you very much. You all can put your hands down. Now, would you all look up on the screen with me? Well, I'm not going to look at the screen. I'm going to look down here, okay? Would you say this prayer? Those of you who just had your hands raised, when you say this prayer, this changes everything if you mean it in your heart and in your head. This changes everything because you go from the side of evil to the side of good. It means that when you try to live that good life that you've tried to live but you couldn't live, you have a power source that is impossible for the devil to overcome the Holy Spirit. So let's say it together. Jesus, I haven't been on your side. I may not have acknowledged that you exist, but today I trust you as my Savior from sin and death and my Lord, my owner. Come in and take over. Fill me with your Spirit that I may learn your truth, experience your love and power, and live it more and more each day. This I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we go out, here's today's Commitment. We have a commitment every week for those of us who trust Jesus. And, and it says this, I will attack the devil with the sword of the Spirit this week. I will attack the devil with the sword of the Spirit this week. Um, it's our only offensive weapon along with prayer in the Spirit. Um, on Thursday night, Nancy had to stay in the hospital and I came home and I, went to, I couldn't go to sleep. you know, And I stayed up pretty late and then I went to bed. In the middle of the night I woke up again. And I started thinking about the accident, and I, I, I think a lot, <laughs> probably more than most people. And I, I said to myself, why did this happen, you know? And I asked God, why did this happen? And he didn't give me an answer, but um, he gave me a brain that, I, that works pretty well. And so I thought, there really can only be three answers to that question. Number one, it just happened. It's an accident, you know, accidents happen. The second thing could have been that the devil's pretty ticked off at us right now, <laughs> you know? Nancy and I have stood up for Jesus for a long time, and never more so than right now. And he just doesn't want us to be around. Pastor Barry, our new executive pastor, he's trying to get us to write stuff down, policies and procedures. And, you know, and he says, when Chris gets hit by a bus, when Nancy gets hit by a bus, and he came in to see us at the hospital Thursday night, and I said, well, got hit by not a bus, but, you know, a car. And, uh, you know, so we still didn't write it down yet, but she did. I'm starting to write. <laughs> Okay, but the third reason that I came up with is we spent all day at Victory Church, and in the morning, Pastor John said the, the saddest nine words in the Bible are in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel, God says through Ezekiel, I sought a man to stand in the gap, and there was none. I sought a man to stand in the gap, and there was none. Well, where our car was, right up from, uh, there were some people that had just come to the bowling alley, and they were sitting in their cars. And I don't know for sure, but if our car hadn't been there, it's possible that that car could have crashed into them and killed those people. Or else he would have hit into bowling alley. Maybe there'd be somebody in there that didn't know Jesus, and they would be in hell right now. We're just bruised up. And if we would have been killed, we'd be in heaven right now. It's a win-win. So maybe we were standing in the gap and didn't even know it. You see, I don't know that we'll ever know some of the things that happen and, and what they mean until we get to heaven. 
But I do know this. God is faithful. And he is going to use us as the ones in the gap. Because, you know, whenever it says in Ezekiel, I saw a man to stand in the gap and there was none. Of course, there is one now, Jesus. He stood in the gap. He died for us. He, he eliminated the consequence of sin for all of us. But now here we are. And so now we get to stand in the gap for people from, from this day until the day when we all see Jesus face to face. And, and, and I, just, I just love the fact that he gave us some tools, some offensive weapons, because I don't want to sit around and wait for it. I want to go on the offense more than ever. Don't you? Could I even hear an amen maybe? Amen. All right. It's a white church, but it'll work. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for being with us and in us by your spirit. Thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection for all that he is and all that he does. God, today as we go out, we simply pray that you will give us the courage and the power of your Holy Spirit, the boldness of your spirit to do whatever it takes to stand in whatever gap there is so that those who don't know you get to know you. And those of us who do become more and more like you every moment. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.